We're glad you're with us today. Several years ago, there was a man in Kentucky. He walks into a Dairy Queen, places his order. It was $4. It wasn't much. Uh, and he paid for it with, of all things, a $200 bill. Sounds a little bit strange. I've never heard of a $200 bill. But the person gave him his order and $196 and change. The manager noticed that something wasn't right about this $200 bill. Not the fact that they didn't make one, but anyway, I mean, that would be a dead giveaway to me. But it maybe had a picture of President George Bush on it, and that seems strange. Picture of the White House on the back. He calls the authorities. They did track the man down and arrested him for theft by deception. Uh, U.S. currency has many safeguards in it so that we know that we're getting the real thing. There's a strip embedded in the paper now. Uh, it has the denomination of the bill printed on it. The strip glows under ultraviolet light. They have a marker. You know, you pass a large bill like that, even a 20 sometimes. They have that little marker, and if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, if it does reacts with the ink, then it's not a real legitimate bill. And there are probably more features that we don't know about because we haven't heard heard about them, but I guarantee you Secret Service knows about them. Department of Treasury knows about them because they created it. And then we know that there are companies that make products that we use every day, and they're very cautious of their brand identity. And every now and then you'll hear somebody, you know, being busted by customs, by someone who's ever in charge with that for counterfeiting uh, products. Um, one clothing line had a brand of expensive downfill jackets. And they were found for sale on the internet. Uh, but when the ex- jackets were examined, they weren't filled with down, but chicken feathers swept up from the floor of the poultry house. Well, that can be a problem because the disease that could be there, they weren't downfilled. And then we've heard about counterfeit medications. You know, people trying to make a buck just for the sake of making a buck off of other people. We can be fooled by counterfeit products, but what's more sad is the fact that we can be fooled by a counterfeit faith. As I reach down and pick up my Bible, counterfeit, according to the dictionary, is something that is not genuine but made to resemble the past for something valuable. And so it would be very natural for us to contemplate, to think about, The question, are there any counterfeit Christians? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20 through 23, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Matthew 7, 20 and 23, chapter 7, 20 through 23. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm. There'd be some there who would be on the day of judgment saying, Lord, we did all of these things. We cast out demons. We did wonderful works. You know, you say, I never knew you. Well, why? Something apparently was lacking in their faith. Something was lacking in their obedience to God. Reminds me of that chapter in the book of Acts where Paul and I think it's Barnabas, maybe Paul and Silas were preaching. And Luke just tells us about Paul's preaching was so strong. And there was a man, a Jewish man, seven sons of Sceva, I think his name was. 
And they were casting out, trying to cast out demons. And they tried one. The demon said, Jesus, I know about Paul. I know about. But who are you? They weren't God's people. They wanted to they wanted to do what Paul was doing. Some of the other apostles, maybe what they were doing. But they had nothing in common with them other than, well, they knew the name of Jesus. They knew the name of Paul, and they knew God was doing mighty things through them and had done through him. And so it's easy to say that there will be those who, unfortunately, may believe that they're okay with God, but they're not. And if we would look at them and follow them, we'd have to know their teaching. By their fruits, you will know them. A counterfeit is something that is not genuine, but tries to pass itself off as something valuable. So Jesus is saying, in one sense, there will be counterfeit Christians among us. It's possible that some of those prominent entertainers that we see, politicians, are counterfeit in their Christianity. They proclaim to be men and women of faith. Yet in their words, their lives, their actions in public, They ignore clear teaching of scripture. They ignore Jesus, and they want it to fit what they want it to fit like. Jesus tells us that no counterfeit Christians will ever hear God and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share your master's happiness. Matthew chapter 5, or 25, excuse me. Because that was a separation of the sheep and the goats. There were those who claimed to be Christians. And there were those who were Christians. They saw Jesus when he was hurting through the eyes of his people. The others that were separated to the left. Well, that's not a political comment, by the way. That's just the story in Matthew's gospel. Uh, They were separated because they ignored the people they saw that were hurting. I don't want to be a counterfeit Christian. And I believe that you don't want to be one either. And that in part is why you're here today. I think we both, all of us, would like to approach the end of our life with the same words of the Apostle Paul. Well, at least in part. You know, verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the one we really don't want to face. You know, that's the one that talks about persecution. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. But verse 7 is what we want to hear. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. That would include you and me in that. That we are going to be among those. Now, we don't like to think about the persecution, but that's exactly what Jesus said we might face. And that type of persecution can be very subtle. You don't have to be imprisoned, beaten, tortured to face persecution. You can be publicly shunned. In our culture today, it would be canceled because people don't want to listen to you and they think that you're being judgmental when you hold to a standard, a standard of righteousness. Faithful servant is what we want to be. And faithful servant is what God called Moses many years ago in the Old Testament. 
And today, Moses is one of those who stands out very prominently in the teaching of Scripture. As I flip over my Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, we know about Moses because the writer there talks about him in verse 23 of chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who was unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that he who would destroy the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea through, though they were passing, as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. That's what Moses saw. He was indeed a faithful man of God. But Moses didn't start out that way. I'm really impressed having concluded my readings this so far this year in Exodus and Leviticus, what Moses went through. Moses did not start out as a strong man of faith. Oh, he left Egypt. And he left probably in a lot, large part because of human fear, because he had killed an Egyptian. And it came pretty much common knowledge in a short order of time. He fled. But God called him to that burning bush. When it comes to making excuses, though, Moses kind of sounds like you and me sometimes. But God had to tell him and be patient with him and then finally say, Moses, you're my man. You're going to do it. God put his foot down, so to speak, figuratively, of course, and Moses heeded God's call. And once Moses was committed to serving God, it didn't take him long to discover that God, well, God specializes in doing the impossible. The more Moses was willing to do, the more God made it possible for him to do it. And so I submit that God helped Moses overcome obstacles that he would never have been able to conquer alone. No positive thinking self-help book in history ever written would help Moses do the things that God did through him. So when God called Moses, he put Moses faced three obstacles that I think in part we all face. The first one was Moses had a sense of inferiority and inadequacy. And so in the book of Exodus, when God was calling him, when God said, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. So this is a revision of the exact text. The first thought that came to Moses was, who am I? I'm a nobody. They won't listen to me. And you know, Lord, I am not very eloquent. I wouldn't make a good spokesman. Not at all. So choose someone else. Send someone else. God finally said, Moses, you're the one. You're going to do it. But I wonder if Satan sometimes doesn't use our feelings of inadequacy and inferiority to keep us from doing what God would have us to do. Every now and then I think of it, probably whenever I'm asked to do a funeral, graveside service, I think of the first one I ever did. I hadn't been to school yet. I had just left my job at a grain elevator in Kansas. I was working with the Eastwood Church of Christ, just kind of get to know them and do some things with their youth group and basically 
that entailed driving them to a youth Sunday somewhere and kind of just corralling them around and supervising them, but uh, teaching a class or two. But I had an uncle that died. And my uncle and I, I like to say we were fairly close. I really loved my uncle. And, uh, but he had a stroke and he died. And his widow asked me if I would do the funeral. Well, Nick, I haven't even been to school yet. I've only preached maybe a dozen sermons in my life. I've never done a funeral. I wouldn't know where to start. So I talked to a colleague at the church. He said, yeah, you can do it. I talked to another preacher that I respected. He said, yeah, I think you should do it. You can do it. Great. You guys aren't any help at all. But I did it. And now that's probably one of the times in life when I can sit with a family when they're at their most hurting in their life. Um, and so that helps me to minister to them in a way that this doesn't just cut it the same way. So I'm convinced that if we let God, he will help us, he'll equip us for service to others, whatever it might be. The second thing that Moses said was, Lord, I can't speak, I can't lead. Yet when he let God lead him, lead the way, Moses followed his commands, and it wasn't long before Pharaoh let them go. Took a few miracles, took a few acts of God so that Pharaoh would learn that God was God and he wasn't. But more importantly, as we said last week, so that Israel would learn that God was God and they weren't. So they could trust him. And so that second obstacle that Moses would face was dealing with God's people. Abraham's offspring. Two million grumbling Israelites. They weren't two days out of Egypt. And then they start complaining. And no, it wasn't, are we there yet? Because we have kids, we've heard that before. Pull out of the driveway. How long is it going to take us to get there? Are we there yet? No, we're not. So they asked Moses, if you will, Moses, what's your plan getting across this Red Sea? We see Pharaoh's armies behind us and see in front of us. What We're trapped. What are you going to do? Moses simply answered, I don't have a plan. God told me to follow the pillar of the cloud by day, the fire by night. That's what I'm doing. So they're not very impressed by that answer. I mean, you don't have a map showing us the way, how to get through this situation? No, sorry, I don't. God will take care of us. I'd like to think that Moses said, don't you remember what he did to Pharaoh when we were a few weeks ago, a few days ago? But then... You know, then they start getting hungry. You're on the journey a little while, and you say, I'm hungry. I want a snack. Can we get something to drink? So they ask Moses, if you will, what's on the menu today? What are we going to eat? In Egypt, we had this stuff. Maybe it wasn't the best, but we had melons, cucumbers. We had a little bit of meat. By the way, Moses, it's getting out hot here in the desert. We're dry. Our throats are parched. The water that we have is, well, it's just not like it was. It's not fresh anymore. It's in our canteens, it's in our jugs. They were constantly grumbling about things. Moses spent a lot of time talking to God about them, and I imagine sometimes he became very discouraged when he thought about them. And yet he defended them, pleaded with When God wanted to wipe them out and raise up a nation into him, he pled for Israel. 
I wonder how God is going to deal with Christians who have been a source of discouragement to other Christians. I wonder how he's going to deal with people in general who have blocked Christians from doing what they're trying to do and impeded their ways. I know that if we impede the lives of some, God will judge us harshly. Jesus said, if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, it's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the sea. You take advantage of one of God's children and lead them astray. Woe unto you. Moses had to deal with all of those things, and yet God strengthened him through it all. And then finally, the third thing that Moses had to deal with was his own stubbornness. And I know no one here has ever been accused of being stubborn about anything. I never have. You can ask Kathy as she's laughing under her mask and you can't see her. But anyway, um, my kids, you know, I'm still stubborn. My kids get their stubbornness from her, by the way. Uh, One day Moses said to God, the people are complaining because there's not enough water. And so this is in Numbers chapter 20. God said, okay, Moses, there's a rock over here. You go and speak to it, and water will come out, and you'll have plenty of water. But Moses is so frustrated with the people and their constant complaining and just being there to give him grief. He takes his rod and he strikes it. Water came out, but instead of showing the people how much God cared and provided for them, Moses displayed his own anger, and God was disobeyed. The people saw Moses reacting and doing things his way instead of God's way. And for that reason, Moses wasn't going to enter the promised land. We'll talk about that momentarily. But I wonder in that way how many times people, the church, reject the will of God and his plan just to say, no, we can't do it that way. It's got to be my way. And that causes problems. When we say, God, don't get, we don't want to do it that way, when we try to do it our own way, our will gets in the way of God's will. And it can't be that way. Moses faced three obstacles in his life, feelings of inadequacy, difficult people, his own stubbornness, and yet God helped him through it all. And then, just as Moses' service was remembered, when we realize God will work these ways in our life as well, We'll be rewarded as well. Moses must have wondered about what God was going to do with him. He started out at the age of 80 to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Went through all those struggles for 40 years in the wilderness, wandering, the hardships, the pain. He loved those people. He prayed for them. And as I said, he interceded for them. He stands at the board of the promised land. God calls him up to that high mountain. God told him in Numbers 20, Moses, I'll let you see the promised land. As I turn back to Numbers chapter 20, I'll let you see the promised land, but you're not going to go in. Because he says in chapter 20 and verse 12, Moses lifted, in verse 11, then Moses lifted up his hand, struck the rock twice with his rod. Water came forth abundantly in the congregation and their beast drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, so to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, 
Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Said Moses, you can look at this land, but you're not going to go in. And so in chapter 27 is where this comes to light. He's telling them, and he says in verse uh, 12, Go up to this mountain and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was. And seeing what you've been hoped for, hoping for, and getting right up to it, and then you have to reflect back and say, oh, it's all because I disobeyed God. All because my stubbornness got in anger and I reacted. It often seems to happen that way. David made preparations to build the temple, but he wasn't going to build it. He was a man of blood. His son Solomon built it. Oftentimes God will use one person to plow the ground and get it ready. Someone else will see the, will harvest the crop and see the fruit of the labor. I know that there have been many who have been at Central in the past who have been here and have gone under other churches, and I would like to believe that they've been become strong members of those congregations, in part because of what we gave them. Because they were here for a time, and they were faithful while they were here, and they took part in things, and maybe they preached and taught classes and did things, and they grew stronger in their faith. Some will prepare the field. Some will plant the seed. Others will give the harvest. It would have only been human for Moses to wonder if his service would ever be rewarded. And then on one day in a different century, on another mountaintop, Jesus was transfigured and Moses was there too. The disciples saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. But Moses, Jesus, and Elijah were all conversing together, the three of them. And I wonder, as he looked down and saw the worshipful gazes of Peter, James, and John, as they looked at the three of them gathered together, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, I wonder if he didn't think, maybe momentarily, it was really worth all that sacrifice and all the pain. It was worth every moment of it. Man, I sure wish I would have done some things differently. But in the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration, well, nothing will be compared to the glory that will be ours when we see Jesus. Peter, James, and John saw an amazing thing on that day. But we too will see an amazing thing when we see Jesus come in his glory. When we see him on the throne. When we gather there with not only Jesus, but with all of God's faithful throughout all generations. And we'll know that it was worth it. That the things that we put up with on this earth, this life, as Paul says in several places, but the one that pops into my mind now is talks about the persecutions, the afflictions that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Momentary light afflictions because of the surpassing glory of Christ. You see, Jesus calls us not to a life of ease, but to a life of service, a life of following. So as the followers of Christ, we keep on serving, we keep on working, we keep on giving. But there are still places where God still needs faithful workers. There's still people that need to be reached with the love of Christ. 
classrooms that cry out for teachers, friends that are wandering through life not knowing they're lost. They need somebody to go to them. You know, as I was reading through Romans in chapter 10, and this lesson is, by the way, almost yours. I'm not going to do that five, six-hour thing. But in Romans chapter 10, he's talking about the matters of faith to those Christians. And he says in verse 13, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they not, and how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It doesn't take a preacher to talk to a friend. You can be an Andrew and introduce your friend to a preacher or somebody else who's skilled and has good knowledge and understanding of the word of God. But it does take somebody to talk to them. There's a still a place for everyone in the kingdom of God to work in God's service. And one day we too will know that it was worth it all. A hymn that we sing occasionally, and we has this line of anticipation in it, and we shall behold him. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. Oh, we shall see, shall behold him, we shall behold him face to face, our Savior and Lord. Our song of invitation is number 452, standing on the promises. You see, God has promised to us a reward. As we walk faithfully. And John would say in his first letter, we walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. He would close out that first letter in chapter 5 and verse 13. My children, I've written these things to you so that you may know you have eternal life. And that's what it's all about. That's the promise of God. And so if you stand in need of the invitation of Jesus for whatever reason it might be, you're invited to come forward to ask prayers of the church, to we'll listen to you, what you have to say. But if you have any reason, any need, we'll make it known to Jesus while we stand and while we sing this hymn for your encouragement.